Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon. I feel like I'm standing in this wonderful glowing light here, so hopefully you're enjoying the beautiful sunshine coming through. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we are meeting on the lands of the Ghana people today, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging for sharing this wonderful land with us here in South Australia. It's lovely to be here today, although I think most of us wanted the long weekend to continue. A uh, beautiful, sunny long weekend, mid-autumn, but it's really lovely to be here to share some stories about two recent acquisitions into the collection of the Art Gallery of South Australia. So I'm standing here next to these two beautiful works by Mary Beale, who was a 17th century British painter. And these two works were purchased in the middle of last year for the collection, so we haven't had the opportunity to celebrate them as much as we'd like to yet, given the year that was 2020. So it's a nice opportunity to talk about these incredible works in our collection. The one um, closest to Karina here is called The Penitent Magdalene, and this beautiful sketch here is Head of a Boy, uh, and both were acquired at the same time, joining another work in our collection by Mary Bill, which is up in Gallery 15, and I'll talk a little bit about that later as well, so you can have a chance to see that too. So to give you a little background on Mary Bill, because She's probably not an artist you know particularly well. And of course, uh, we don't have a huge number of works by female artists in the international collection at the Art Gallery of South Australia, but it is something we're working towards building as well. These two new acquisitions here and a beautiful new acquisition of a work by Vanessa Bell on the wall behind you are our recent acquisitions to our collection, trying to build up the representation of female artists. So Mary Beale was born Mary Craddock in 1633 in Suffolk in England. Her father was an amateur painter. And although we don't really know how she learnt about painting, which is often the case with uh, female artists or even artists generally at this time, we do know that she started painting early on in her life. We know from love letters written by her later husband, Charles, that he talks about her being a wonderful painter and a wonderful artist. So we know this was very much something that was part of her uh, interest in life and something she was very, very passionate about. There is some thought that she may have trained under Robert Walker, who was another portraitist. But again, as I said, there's very little written evidence from this period. And it's an interesting period to think about as well. And I'll talk a little bit about the historical context a little bit later. Of course, when we think about Mary Beale, we also think about Sir Peter Lilly. And uh, we do have a lovely Peter Lilly work in our collection, but it's not currently on display. Lilly was a great friend and advocate of Mary Beale's. And it is also thought that she perhaps trained under Sir Peter Lilly. And of course, he was the principal painter to the court during that 17th century period. So he was a very significant painter. And uh, there's certainly correspondence that exists between Lily and Mary Bill from that period. Mary Bill married, um, well, Mary Craddock, I should say, married Charles Bill in 1652. And together they lived on the family estate in Buckinghamshire. 
Uh, he was actually, I think, the youngest son of the family, so he wasn't expected to inherit much. He didn't inherit the family home. And, of course, like all younger sons at that time, uh, was expected to go out and earn his own income, perhaps by becoming a priest or a rector. Following the death of their infant son in, in 1654, unfortunately we don't know how old he was, we only know of his death, we don't know of, of how long he was alive for, sadly. They then moved to Covent Garden, and at that time Covent Garden was the centre of the artistic world in London, and it was where all of the wonderful artists met, came together and existed at that time. They all knew each other, they all went to each other's studios, they shared ideas, they shared information and really just created this wonderful enclave of the arts at that time in London. Of course, Covent Garden is a very different world today, a very tourist place, although perhaps it's different in this year as it was last year, but it's still a wonderful place to visit as we know uh, and a great sort of uh, attraction for artists and artistic types as well. And it was here really that um, Mary Bill spent a great deal of time with Peter Lilly and other artists such as Samuel Cooper and uh, Richard Gibson as well, to name just a few. And she spent a significant amount of time working with them. We know that there are portraits of Sir Peter Lilly that were in Mary Bill's family collection. And there was obviously a wonderful connection between the two families. So... Mary's husband at the time, Charles Beale, as I mentioned, being the youngest son, was forced to go out and get himself a career and to make money. And he was at this time the primary breadwinner for the family. He worked in the patents office in London and that was a very important role and well-paid role. But unfortunately, in 1665, he lost his job. And uh, they had to then leave London and move out into the countryside. And those of you that have a wonderful sense of British history would know that 1665 was a big year. Of course, that was the year of the Great Plague. So many, many people fled London at that time. It was a time where uh, people were sick and they were dying. And so for the Beale family, it was actually quite fortuitous that they ended up leaving London at that time and being quite safe in the countryside. Of course, the following year, 1666, was another big year of the Great Fire of London, where so much of London was lost at that time. So they were quite lucky to be out of London during that period, but I think when they returned to London, it would have been a very different world, a very different place. So many people lost and so much of the building and the city structure itself lost as well. So it would have been a completely different, different world for them. So in 1670, they returned to London, the Bill family. And it was then really that we start to see Charles Bill becoming a really important advocate for his wife's painting work. He became essentially an artist assistant, a colour man and an advocate for Mary Bill. And she took over being the primary breadwinner for the family, which you can imagine would be quite unusual for women at that time to actually be the income earners in a family in 17th century Britain or London. So it's quite interesting to, to read about what was happening at the time in that period. This is a time of great social change, great, great cultural change, and of course physical change to the city of London. When they moved back to London, they moved into brand new houses, of course, because so much of London had been lost. 
and they were able to design their house to really suit their needs as an artist studio. We know from information at the time that um, Charles Bill kept extensive almanacs uh, relating to Mary Bill's output. Uh, he kept an almanac for uh, every year for, for some 30 years. Uh, sadly, of those 30 almanacs, only two of them now exist. Um, and, but we do know that others did exist at some time because George Virtue is a very famous historian, antiquarian writer, writes about the information retained in these incredible almanacs. But over time, only two of them remain and one of them's in the Bodleian Library, which still makes a really great resource for us today as well. And in those almanacs, Charles Beale really talks about every single painting that Mary painted and the progress that she made on every work right from the beginning. And the, really, we learn a lot about, I guess, the process of portrait painting at that time, the number of sittings required, the, the detail that progressed during the painting process, and the different portraits that the, she actually painted, whether they be of um, wealthy people of the town or her own family members or things that might be commissioned as well. So it really gives us a sense of uh, Mary Beale's oeuvre in a way that we, we don't have a lot of that for so many of these artists of this period. So it's a really wonderful resource. These almanacs also tell us about Charles Beale's role. And his role's really interesting because, as I said, he was a studio assistant, an advocate, but he was also a colour man, which means he put together different colours. He would get the raw materials, grind them up and, and develop different colours for artists, not just for his wife Mary, but for lots of artists in their community in Covent Garden. So he became quite well known for this wonderful sense of colour, this sense of creating colour and getting access to all these incredible pigments that he then shared with the rest of the artistic community. He was also known to prime all of Mary Bill's canvases for her. And he developed his own special formula for priming the canvas to get just the right texture and just the right tone. And interestingly, Mary Bill used quite a, a range of different canvases or backgrounds for her work. Of course, here we've got a beautiful canvas, beautiful fine canvas weave. And this work here is actually uh, a work on paper that's then laid down onto canvas. But she was also known to use sack bags from food uh, cotton ticking from mattresses and anything she could really get her hands on. Of course, canvas and linen were so expensive for artists at that time to want to do practice work, to, to want to have a, a, a trial at different things. They couldn't afford to buy very expensive canvas and linen, which of course were all hand-woven at the time. So they had to make do with what was available and readily available and cheap. So it's really interesting to see the different types of material or medium that Mary Beale used over, over the history of her career as well. And so we can read about Charles Beale and the primed canvases that he made for Mary Beale. And they had a special system developed, a false roof in their house to hang the wet primed canvases to dry in preparation for Beale's various commissions. So it's quite fascinating to think about this artist studio at the time, a professional female artist supported by her whole family and how that really translated to all parts of her life as well. You can imagine the smell of walking into a, a house full of primed canvases, that, that sort of oil and linseed smell you get today when you walk into an artist studio.
Interestingly enough, Beale's clientele and sitters were drawn from the intellectual and aristocratic circles. She obviously was a, you know, a significant artist, but she surrounded herself with the intellectuals of the community and was commissioned by many of them to paint. Of course, as I mentioned, Sir Peter Lilly rubbed shoulders with all the very important figures in the court, and she certainly uh, gained a lot from those relationships as well. And interestingly enough, um, Often with Beale's work, uh, she was considered to be as great an artist as Lily, but much more affordable. So if you were to commission Sir Peter Lily to paint your portrait, it might cost you £20. But if you were to commission Mary Beale, it might only cost you £5. So it makes a very cost-effective solution to those who, who want a beautiful portrait but perhaps can't afford the court painter at that time. Now, onto these two glorious works here, which are glowing in this wonderful light from the ceiling here. We have two very different works, and of course, if you go up and see the work in Gallery 15, it's another aspect of her oeuvre as well. So we, we get a real sense of the, the sort of holistic nature of her practice. Here we have the beautiful penitent Magdalene and Head of a Boy. And this wonderful work, Head of a Boy, is probably painted during that period that Mary Beale and Charles Beale and their sons were out in the countryside. Uh, it's likely that it's a study, a practice piece, if you have it, and it could very well be one of their sons, either Charles or Bartholomew. So it makes for a very beautiful and very intimate portrait. Again, it's on paper, so it's a cost-effective way of, of producing a, um, a work that didn't require paint and priming and the canvas. But it's a very typical way, and we know that Beale did a number of portraits in this way, where the, the face is very highly detailed, but then the rest of the work is completely loose and just gives you a sense of the painting itself. There are only 12 known portraits on paper uh, that have been laid onto canvas in this way, so it's quite a very rare work in her oeuvre, so it's really lovely to have this one in our collection. And I think it, it shows that wonderful intimacy of an artist working with her children and creating those wonderful family connections as well. Of course, the penitent Magdalene is, is actually a very rare religious subject. We know that Mary Beale was herself highly religious, a, a devout Anglican, uh, but religious subjects were not something she was particularly interested in. She obviously needed commission works and it's probably likely that this was a commission piece, but we don't have records on what it was for. But interestingly enough, this work, both works actually have only recently been attributed to Mary Beale. They were unknown works in the past. The artist was not known, but the expert Tabitha Barber, who's from the Tate in London, actually was very excited to see these works and knew that they were in fact Mary Beale's works. And going back to those almanacs I mentioned of Charles Beale, he mentions her painting the penitent Magdalene in the almanac. So it's really wonderful for us to have this proof of this incredible story as well. Now, those of you who are versed in religious studies will know that uh, the story of Mary Magdalene, of course, she was a prostitute and um, she is convinced by Jesus and, and converted and brought into Christianity 
And we have here that beautiful pot that sits adjacent to her. There is the ointment that she used to anoint Christ's feet. So it's a very typical pose of Mary Magdalene, of course, that wonderful shape of her face and looking uh, beatifically up at this beautiful light that works so perfectly for us today. We know from different documents at the time that this is a portrait of, I'm going to get her name, Mole Trioche. And we're not quite sure who Moultrioche is, but we think that she's this, possibly the sister of one of the studio assistants of Mary Bill, Katie Trioche. And it's always really interesting um, reading some of the documentation from this period because, of course, this is well before standardised English. So trying to interpret some of the names and some of the words can be quite challenging. I was talking to Karina about this before and I found that if you just say it fast, it sounds like what you expect to see today rather than trying to work out the correct spelling that we would expect today. So as I mentioned, this has only recently been reattributed to or attributed to Mary Beale. And so Mole Trioche, there's a beautiful poem that is thought to have been written by Charles Beale on Mole Trioche's grave, which is in the St Martin's in the Field Cemetery in London. So I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to hopefully pronounce these unusual English words in the correct way. Sweetest creature, here she lies, snatched early from our wandering eyes. Why should mortals prize this light, since he is obscured an envious night? Beauty, wit, and modesty, all charming things, though born to die. If these perish, who can save the most accomplished from the grave? In pity, courteous reader, hast away, the foot ne'er trampled on such lovely clay." And then it finishes with um, some Latin, Amicitiae Dolores Ergo Lupins Coactus Posuit, when the last line loosely translates to the pains of friendship gladly forced aside. So it's, it's a beautiful, romantic story. Uh, we don't really know if Charles wrote this, but it's lovely to think that Mary Bill had this wonderful connection with a model in her studio who then became this incredible figure. And we do know that there's a lovely painting of Katie Trioche, her Mary Bill's studio assistant, that's in, I think it's in the Tate Gallery in London. And if you have a chance to have a look, you can see some wonderful similarities of the visage of these two beautiful women. So I, also, I just wanted to mention before I finish up as well that the other work that I wanted to talk about is the beautiful work that's up in Gallery 15 that we've had in our collection since 2003, which is Mary Wither of Andwell. And that really shows this professional side of Mary Beale's career. Here we've got more of the sort of personal and a rare religious subject, whereas the portrait really tells us much more about what she was doing every day in her studio. So it's, it's a beautiful portrait, and I think the title tells you who it is, although there's not a great deal of information about Mary Wither, but it really demonstrates what she was producing as part of her oeuvre. And as I mentioned, this, this portrait was probably about five pounds at the time as opposed to Sir Peter Lely's 20 pounds. And one of the things that's really lovely that we know about Mary Beale is that she worked very closely with her sons, Charles and Bartholomew. And we know that they assisted in studio practice. There's quite a large collection of Charles's works in the, in the British Museum in London. But also, we know that they quite often 
painted the cartouche, the faux, faux cartouche around the edge of these beautiful paintings of Mary Beale. So you probably don't know what I'm talking about until you go up and have a look at it, but the beautiful faux frame in that work, which is, is, is designed to be evocative of a wonderful Baroque carved frame, was likely painted by Charles or Bartholomew. So just like all of the other great painters of the period, Mary Beale had her own smaller scale version of a studio where different artists would complete different parts of paintings. Uh, so it really you know, adds to that wonderful sense of, of this, really the first professional female painter in British history and such a wonderful asset to our collection as well. So as I mentioned, these there's, there's newly acquired works really give us a great sense of Mary Beale's oeuvre, of the significance of women in 17th century Britain. And if you've got time, Mary Beale actually wrote this wonderful piece um, that she sent to a dear friend. She was a, obviously a, a very sort of early feminist in her own way. And she wrote a beautiful a piece on friendship that you can actually read in, it's been transcribed. And she talks about the equality of men and women. And it is such a contemporary approach to um, this notion of equality in marriage and life and the importance of friendship and friendship as being a sort of all-consuming idea. Um, that it is really interesting to have a read of if you've got a chance because it shows her as being such a, an incredible and progressive um, woman in 17th century Britain. And um, not only did she make a huge impact by her painting, but also through these words. And I think really that is the only piece of writing that exists today relating to from Mary Beale herself. Uh, like so many female artists, her um, diaries, her records have not been kept. Um, we've got those two wonderful almanacs from Charles Beale, but very, very little relating to Mary Beale's own beliefs and thoughts still exists. So it's a really wonderful way to get a bit of insight into her as well. Uh, sadly, Mary Beale died in 1699. She was only 66, which I think we all will agree is too young. But she did leave this wonderful sort of collection of works behind. Uh, like so many artists of the period, these works are unsigned. So it is often a case of tracing provenance, trying to find um, information about various um, artists of the period and also looking at style and the particular palettes and particular media that different artists use. We are very confident in the, obviously, the attribution of these works. They show Mary Beale's hand so successfully. She was such a wonderful colourist with her, her ability to create that glazing, that kind of depth of colour in skin particularly, which makes for a great portraitist. And I think that you can really see her wonderful sense of colour, which of course was supported by her husband and his mixing of these wonderful pigments. So I hope you have a chance to have a look at these closely and also look at the wonderful painting of Mary Wither as well and see what you think of the sort of uh, a holistic approach of Mary Beale's oeuvre. And I think there's much more interesting parts of these wonderful 17th century female artists that we can continue to study. And I, I look forward to um, really expanding our collection and uh, increasing the representation of 
of women in this part of the collection as well. So thank you very much. If you've got any questions, I'm very happy to answer them. So the question was, were women allowed to formally train as artists? And you're right, because of course the Royal Academy, which was established later, they didn't allow women to take part in life drawing or life model classes. Women were not allowed to see the naked male form. It was not okay. But of course, private art classes were. And so taking art classes one-on-one -on -one would be much more acceptable for women at that time, whereas, you know, formal art classes from the body were not, were not suitable. The idea that Mary Beale was the first professional female artist in Britain. Now, I agree with you completely there because she, she was. She was a woman and, she's a, and she earned all of her income through her painting practice and she supported her whole family. So that idea of, of a professional artist selling their work, she certainly was the first female professional artist to do so. Sadly, her, her work was you know, much loved in her lifetime, but sort of almost forgotten up until about the 1970s when uh, she was rediscovered during that, obviously, a great time of, of feminist action. And so many of these artists were rediscovered and um, reclaimed for history. So I, I still think, you know, there's still a great deal of work and research to be done because we've really only had 50 years of, of this research as opposed to Peter Lely where we've had, you know, 400 years of research. I don't know exactly how she died. I suppose our understanding of age is different today. I think 66 is quite young. But of course, in 17th century Britain, um, with medical capacity so low, anything could really kill someone, sadly. But I must say, we are very lucky to live in a time of great medical intervention and capacity. Thank you all very much for coming. Uh, I think we could all debate about the uh, representation of women uh, for many years. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoy and uh, come again soon.